almost fall into. They allow their illness, their injury, the difficulty that they're struggling with to become who they are. They identify with the fact that they are now a mentally ill person. I am now bipolar. I am now uh, living, uh, I, I now have PTSD. That's who I am. That's the limit of what I am and what I can be. That is not the truth. The truth of it is that you are still you. You have potential. There is hope for you. Today, I'm going to outline four steps that I take to ensure that I don't allow my mental illness to become my identity. I am not my mental illness. Welcome to Shatter the Podcast. Sharing the lived experience of mental illness on a father, a mother, a family. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. What does it mean to allow your mental illness to become your identity? There are so many things that a person with mental illness is going to go through, challenges that they're going to face, difficulties that they're going to have in so many different areas, that it is hard to not identify yourself by your mental illness. I'm going to delve into this a lot today because this is an important subject and it's one that I feel is pivotal into whether a person is going to overcome, not be cured of, but to live their best life in spite of their mental illness. So let's start with the basic premise. What does it mean to define yourself by your mental illness? When mental illness affects a person, it challenges them in so many different ways that it can become easy to begin to allow that mental illness, to allow that limitation to become your identity. Now, in a world where it seems like everybody is striving as hard as they possibly can to have an identity, to classify themselves as something, it can be tempting to allow you to it can be tempting for you to allow your mental illness to begin to define who you are. And that is a route to, well, the worst possible outcome that you can possibly have with your mental health. It's to allow yourself to define your abilities and your inabilities by the illness that you suffer from. And let's be clear, mental illness in whatever form, diagnosed mental illness. I'm not talking about somebody that uh, somebody feels a bit sad. I'm talking about defined, a medical practitioner has diagnosed a person with a mental illness. One of the things that they can do is they can view that as an excuse and they can become a victim. Now, I'm not victim shaming here. That is not my intention. My intention is to try and inspire people that have a mental illness to look beyond their suffering and look beyond their symptoms and know that there is a future. There is hope for them. They aren't going to be stuck as the same person suffering the same way they are today as long as they do the things that they need to do to maintain mental health. 
Now, it can be very, very easy to forget that your mental wellness is as important as your physical wellness. We can often assume that one doesn't affect the other. We can think that mental health is something that doesn't need to be protected or maintained. Now, my story belies that fact completely in that I worked in an industry that was extremely violent. Uh, I worked in an area of my industry which was excessively violent. I was a behavioral modification specialist, which means that I would work with people with acquired brain injury and disability who had extreme negative behaviors. And it happens a lot more than people think. Uh, Violence in my workplace was just something that I expected. I'd been married for, I don't know, a couple of months. I came home. I did my usual thing. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't do anything like that. I just kind of came home, didn't talk about what had happened at work. And I picked up my video game controller and just started, started playing my game. A couple of hours later, my wife walks in the door. She looks at me and she screams, what is going on? What happened to you? Uh, I just had no idea what she was talking about. So I went into the bathroom, had a look in the mirror. I had a black eye. My nose had been broken again. It was a little bit to the side. Uh, and I had a big fat lip. Now, yes, I knew that I'd taken damage, but it was something that I was so accustomed to. Now, if you're trying to teach a person with diminished capacity to not use violence to get an end, it's <laughs> you're putting yourself in the firing line, which is what I did. Take, for example, in on my arm. I've got a chunk taken out of it. It was taken out by uh, a little girl. She was 14, 15. She was very small. Uh, But she had learned to communicate through her autism with violence. She would indicate something, and if she didn't get a response fast enough, she learned that if she responded with violence, she could get what she wanted. This was a failure on whoever was working with her from day one. And it's not a failure that I can point a finger at because every parent, whatever the circumstance that their children are living with, are making it up as they go. Nobody's ever got the Bible of how to bring up a child, especially a child with a disability. So the child wants a cup of coffee. You know that they've had three or four cups of coffee already that morning. Another cup of coffee is um, not going to be good for them. person with autism doesn't understand that. They just want a cup of coffee. So they indicate a cup of coffee. You say no. They indicate strongly that they want a cup of coffee. You again say no. They then try the next thing. And it worked last time. They smashed a cup against the wall. Everybody freaked out and gave her a cup of coffee. She bit somebody. And they gave her a cup of coffee to calm her down. Well, that was the place that I found myself in. And that was that I uh, was uh, bitten when I said no to her for something. And my job was to teach her more constructive ways to ask for the things that she wanted. Obviously, incredibly difficult when you're talking about a person with with extreme autism. A, a genuine diagnosed autistic person. So you come out the other side of these things thinking that, okay, I'm now 
mentally ill. I've, something has happened. The chemicals in my brain are not working properly. And we're talking people that have just found out that they're bipolar, they're multiple personality disorder, they're schizophrenic. All of these things incredibly hard to diagnose. And you have to go through a journey that often takes years to get a correct diagnosis. Then you spend a number of years trying to figure out your medication, which is not like taking an aspirin. It is like um, you think of a junkie that when they come off a drug, it's because their body is dependent on that drug. So if you've taken Zoloft for two years to maintain your mental health and then the doctor says, oh, I want to change to something else, you have to essentially detox off one medication to go on to another which is something that I think people that don't have a mental illness and haven't gone through this medication struggle don't understand. So how does this impact identity? Well, you've spent all your time, your energy, focusing on this one issue. Now think of that in a life that doesn't exist with mental illness. Somebody at a job that they love, somebody at a a career that they've worked hard at, somebody that has become a mother after a number of years. It's consumed their whole life. And then when they come out the other side, they have an identity. And that is the danger that people with mental illness can fall into is that this thing that they've focused on and they've concentrated on and they've had to work extremely hard at, they then start to identify as being that person. Now, what's the danger of identifying as a person with a mental illness? I believe that it constantly limits who you feel that you can be. Now, self-stigma is the worst kind of stigma. It is a stigma that is internal. It's hard to combat because you can't see it. Uh, if somebody comes up to you and they want to disparage you or diminish you, it's very easy to pick. But when it's your own mind, that is doing that, when it is your own mind that is diminishing you, it's harder for you to understand that that's happening. Now, that sounds impossible, but that's what the psychiatric journey is all about, learning the things that uh, are causing you to feel bad. And often that is your mind telling you lies, telling you falsehoods, constantly bringing you down. I mean, if you had a coach that was constantly in your ear telling you how horrible you were 24 hours a day, eventually you are going to decide that, yes, I am hopeful. And that's what a person with mental illness's mind is doing to them, constantly looking at failure, constantly looking at what they lack, not looking at their strengths, the positives that have come out of living with a mental illness. So it was important for me at one stage to actually define within my own life, my own mind, my own world, that I am not my mental illness. Yes, I have limitations. Yes, I have struggles. But that's not who I am. I often made the mistake, and, and my wife in our men, marriage and mental illness conversations brings this up often, the fact that I am my own worst enemy. Uh, nobody dislikes me more than I do uh, because in my head, I've got this constant barrage uh, telling me that I am hopeless, broken, stupid, pathetic, sad, 
weak, not a man, uh, a terrible father, terrible husband. And it's my mind telling me lies for the most part. Sometimes it's telling the truth. So what did I have to do to ensure that I don't define myself by my mental illness, which is CPTSD? Um, the other thing about that is as soon as you can give a name to your mental illness, for me it was a day that it was extremely liberating. Why was I crying? Why was I depressed? Why was I constantly thinking that somebody was going to jump out from behind the corner and stab me? Why was I like this? And it became such a joy when I found out that what I had actually had a name. Now, celebrating the fact that you know what's wrong with you is one thing. The other thing is taking that diagnosis and allowing it to become who you are. It's now your identity. I am bipolar. That is how I define my life. That is who I am. That is a lie. You are not your mental illness. You don't say that a person who has a broken leg is now broken-legged, and that's how you're going to recognize them for the rest of their life as being broken-legged. Sorry, just cut out for a moment there. You don't look at a person with a broken leg and say they are now broken-legged. You look at them and say they have an injury, they have an illness. Uh, I have friends close to me that have epilepsy. I don't look at them as epileptic. I look at them as who they are with a condition that every once in a while they have to worry about. Sometimes they have to worry about it more. Sometimes they have to worry about it less. But they still have a condition. They are not epileptic in that old terminology. So what did I do? Well, with my wife and my psychologist's help, help the first thing that I did is decide to see my strengths. Stop looking at what I couldn't do and start looking at what I could do. My wife said to me at one stage in my mental health journey, what job would you like to do? And I had no answer. And she said, no, tell me what would be your dream job. And I said, I'd like to work in radio. Well, three weeks later, I was volunteering at a radio station. Three months after that, I was employed as a radio presenter. I was essentially doing the dream job that I'd always wanted for my whole life. And I was doing it well. I built a show, an afternoon show that became moderately successful. In radio terms, it was it was successful. I built a, a, a large audience of people that were enjoying the work that we were doing. And I loved it. But at the same time, I was constantly attacking myself, constantly almost about to quit because my mind was telling me that I was not worthwhile. I had to make a decision to figure out what my strengths were, what my, crea what my creativity is, the fact that my words, my ideas that are floating around in my head might be able to help somebody else. So I started looking at my strengths. 
The next thing that I did is I stopped seeing changes that I had to make in order to maintain life. I started to see those changes as not failures. The fact that I could only work, physically work at a job for a few hours a day. And I can do it very, very well. I can do pretty much any job really well for a couple of hours. And then I have to stop. I immediately saw this as a failure, as a weakness. Instead, I needed to start seeing it as anything but a failure, a course correction, a new reality. Not a failure, not the fact that I was now weak or hopeless or less than I had been before, but I just had to make changes to make sure that I maintained my mental health or my stability. So the first thing that I did is I see my strengths and recognize my strengths. I choose to accept the fact that I have strengths, that even though I live with a mental illness, I still have things that are positive about me. And I am not just a broken figure that is worthless. Second thing that I did is I don't see the changes that I have to make as failures. The fact that I have to think about scheduling time throughout the day to acknowledge my kids. I saw this as a massive failure. If I was a good father, I would constantly be involved in my kids' lives. It's impractical and it's not good for them and it's not good for me. I want my kids to be independent, to be healthy, to be of clear mind, be able to make their own decisions, to be able to sit in their own company without needing somebody else to entertain them. And I still may, I still believe that. But what my mental illness has helped me to do is help me to focus on taking small bites out of my day to ensure that I'm acknowledging them and that I am giving them love and support in a positive constructive way. That was a change. Certainly wasn't a failure. I had to look at my new circumstances as a new reality, not a broken reality. I often use the words, I'm broken. I, my mind broke. I suffered an injury. I am no longer whole. But when I say those things, I'm not talking about them as this is now how I identify. I don't see myself as being broken. Well, in fact, that's kind of a lie because even as I say that, my mind is screaming in my head that it is a lie. I am broken. I have to fight with that voice a lot. (laughs) That voice that says that you are broken. And I have to acknowledge the reality of the situation. I have to challenge that thinking and I have to look at it and I have to say that I reject it. I choose to reject that thinking and I might have to reject it 600 times a day. If I didn't, I'd just curl up in a corner and and wait to die. 
I have to fight against that voice. I have to choose to see my reality as being new, not fractured, not broken. So the four things that I do to ensure that I do not identify or be or use my mental illness as an identifier for myself. I am not my mental illness because I see my strengths. I choose to see my strengths. I choose to see the changes that I have to make, not as failures, but as natural progression of life. Change is a part of life. We are all different the older we get. I've had to make some significant changes. They aren't failures. And in fact, those changes can often be successes if I choose to see them that way. I look at my life as being a new reality, not a broken reality. I have to choose to not look at myself and say that you are now a broken person. It's like, yeah, I have challenges that I need to live with, but that's not who I am. The last thing that I had to do, and this is probably going to be the hardest for some people to hear, is I had to stop dwelling on getting better. This idea that one day I was going to find a cure for my mental illness, I was going to find a way to ensure that one day I would no longer be mentally ill. Well, my reality is that my mental health is irreparably damaged. Uh, The chemicals in my head are altered in such a way that my mental illness is not going to go away. How I respond to it, how I react with that mental illness, how I choose to live with that mental illness is what I need to focus on. Living my best life becomes my priority. Rather than looking at a life that is broken and hopeless and useless, I'm looking at a life that has potential, that has, for want of a better word, hope. It's a life that is of promise, not of death and destroyed hopes and destroyed dreams, destroyed possibilities. All these things that I've mentioned are ways in which a person with mental illness can choose to start living in and choose to start believing uh, who they actually are. It is a trap. It's a horrible trap. And it's a trap that you don't have to live in. Keys to getting healthy is do the work. First and foremost, do the work. If you go to a psychologist and the psychologist says, I want you to try this, and you walk out the door and go, I don't think I want to try that, there's no point in having done the work that you did with the psych or your treatment person or your thing. If you're not going to do the work, if you're not going to take your medication, if you're not going to try to exercise, if you're not going to try to get good sleep, then you're negating the things that are possibly going to help you. The choice to live is a big one. When you have a mental illness, when everything seems so bleak and dark and horrible, 
choosing to believe that you can live a quote unquote good life as opposed to a life of misery and self-blame and self-shame. There is going to be people listening to this that I'm basically going to be speaking to them in a in a foreign language. They don't understand what I mean when I talk about the overwhelming sense of failure that a person with mental illness gets. And that's okay because part of the discussion is to allow you to understand what the mindset is of a person with mental illness, to understand what is going on in their head. We can be aware, and awareness is great. Understanding is better. I get asked all the time when I go to speak in schools, what can I do to help my friend? And I've started saying something that uh, a woman that I volunteer with said to me once, friends can't cure friends. Friends can't fix friends. Even if you're a psychologist, you can't fix your best friend because you're emotionally invested. Friends can't fix friends. What friends can do is be a support, is be somebody that will refuse to allow the mental illness of your friend to become, to come between your friendship. One of the basic things that I have learned through my mental illness journey is that it is lonely. It is hard for people to stick in with you as a friend because I'm not consistent. I don't think, oh, I need to give such and such a call. I have to put in my calendar, this was the last time I spoke to this person, choose to speak to them again. People that I love, people that I support, I have to tell myself to get in touch with them. I am a terrible, terrible friend. But I know the people that have worked hard to see beyond that, to see beyond the fact that hey, he is struggling with a mental illness, but he's still Mark. He's still there. He's still in there somewhere. I still believe in him. Your job as a person who doesn't have a mental illness is to choose to not allow that person's mental illness to come between you. How do you do that? It's not by stepping in and trying to fix them. It's just by telling them that you love them, you support them, and can you do anything? I had a mate that uh, would just call me up every once in a while and we'd have a cup of coffee. And I realized and I acknowledged at one stage that it was mostly him asking. And I said to him, you know, I'm really sorry about that and I'm going to try and change that because I do want to spend time with you. It's just, I'm often so consumed with my own pain that I don't think to reach out. I don't think to choose to spend time with you because I don't like spending time with you. So why would somebody else? The greatest struggle that a person with mental illness will have is who they now are through their mental illness. It's important if you're supporting somebody with mental illness to let them know that you know that they aren't their bipolar disorder. 
they are not their OCD. They are living with a condition and you acknowledge that and you understand that, but you still love the person that's in there. Not despite of their mental illness, but just because they are the person that you want to love and support. There's so many different ways that we can identify. And I understand culture's current need to try and form an identity, especially for white people, because basically we're one group. (laughs) We are white people. So this desire to be identified as something or as someone is a dangerous person, is, is a dangerous occupation for a person with a mental illness. My friends that have epilepsy, they don't meet somebody and say, hi, I have epilepsy. It's a intimate conversation that they have when they learn to trust a person or when they need to inform a person. Why can it not be the case with mental illness? Why can I not meet somebody and then have that intimate conversation? I had a very, very, very close personal friend who we were getting very, very close. And they said, I've got something I need to tell you, something about myself that will change how you feel about me. I said, oh, okay, all right. Don't know what that could be. Are you a murderer? Are you a rapist? Are you, I don't know, an ex-Nazi or something? And they said, no, no, I, I really need you to understand that I don't want this to change our friendship, but I feel I need to talk to you about it because we're spending so much time together. I said, oh, okay. What is it, mate? Whatever it is, I'm still going to love you and, and, and be part of your life. And they said, well, I have epilepsy. And I said, okay, that's fine. Now what's the problem? Well, what, what's going to alter our friendship? And they said, you don't understand. And I said, well, you haven't told me what's going to change our friendship yet. Uh, I don't know why you told me I had epilepsy. That's got nothing to do with it. Well, what's going to change our, our friendship? And it was the epilepsy. Now I'm not saying this to, to say that I am a great person because I'm not, but it just never entered my head to see this person as being any different because of their epilepsy. There's nothing about that that could change how I feel about them as a person. It's a condition that they're living with. But I want you to think about a conversation that you might have had with somebody when they said, oh, I I have OCD or I'm bipolar. Did it affect your friendship? Did it affect the way that you interacted with them? Marriage and mental illness this week. My wife and I talked about um, identity and work came up and it was something that I hadn't thought about. Uh, I'm currently applying for jobs, some freelance podcast and uh, radio work. And the podcast that I do is Shattered the Podcast, Living with Mental Illness. And we had a long discussion about whether I mentioned 
this podcast because it's part of my CV. It's part of my work in radio and podcasting. But do I use the title because people will see that and believe that I am going to be unreliable, going to be difficult at some stage? Why is it not that people could see that I talk about mental illness and and perhaps assume that if I'm healthy enough to talk about it, that I'd be healthy enough to do other things instead of seeing my mental illness and going, oh, that could be a problem. Did somebody apply for a job at your work? And in the interview process, you found out that they had a mental illness. Now, in Australia, it's illegal to discriminate against a person because of uh, their uh, an illness, an injury that they are working with. We have very, very strict laws about that. But if I tell a potential employer that I have a podcast called Living With Mental Illness, where I talk about the struggles that I face living with mental illness, am I all of a sudden going to become unsuitable because I'm too young, too old? not the right person, not a right fit? Or is it because they need to find a reason not to employ me because they now know that I struggle with mental illness? It's an interesting question and it's one that has consumed me for the last few days at least, particularly after speaking to Mary about it on marriage and mental illness. She just came up with things and took the conversation in a way that I really wasn't expecting. How do you see a person that has a mental illness? How do you see a person on a bus that is screaming at the bus driver over something that you can't understand? Uh, is, Is that person going through a mental health crisis? Is that the first thing that you think about? Or do you just think they're being an ass and somebody should throw them off the bus? It's tough. And there is no easy solution. But as I've said before, understanding is so much better than awareness. We talk about mental illness awareness, and I'm so glad that we do. It's a brilliant, it's a wonderful, it's a positive thing but it's not the be-all and end-all because if you don't understand something, how can you truly embrace somebody? Now, this friend of mine that had epilepsy, maybe I understand epilepsy better than others because of my work, working with people with disabilities and acquired brain injuries, seizures, things that just happen on a daily basis. Maybe that's why I didn't care. I hope. It's more that just me as a person doesn't judge somebody by the circumstances, the illnesses that they are living with. I was at a school the other day, a wonderful school, talking about living with mental illness. Um, St. Eddie's, St. Edmund's in Canberra. Students were magnificent. They are extraordinary. Some of the best kids I've ever spoken to. Some of the most mature year 12s, respectful. Uh, encouraging, polite, just great, great young men that I was speaking to. And my co-presenter, who doesn't live with a mental illness, asked a couple of questions. They said, do you see Mark as being any different 
do you feel that Mark is weak because of the story that you told? Or do you see him as being strong, that he's able to come and discuss it with you? The students were overwhelming in their support of me. But it made me think, why do I do what I do? Why do I jump on the internet and talk about mental illness? Why do I go out to schools and talk about mental illness? Am I now identifying as a, as a, as a mentally ill person? Am I a PTSD? And the realization came to me really strongly in that room at that time. And I was able to say this to the boys. It was, I'm not here to make you feel sorry for me. All I'm here for is to talk to you in a way about it and issue a condition that was never spoken about like this when I was a kid. We never talked about our mental health. We never talked about the fact that being punched in the face as a job was something that could affect your mental health. In fact, we made fun of people that couldn't do our job, people that tried to and, and left, people that were wise enough to realize that staying in that field was not good for their mental health. So why I do it is hopefully so that my kids grow up in a world where if they have mental illness, they aren't judged by it that people don't diminish them as soon as they hear that, well, you're out of the running because you have a mental illness. And not so that you can raise some equal opportunity banner, but just because as a person you see potential in them. You look at their work history. You look at what they've done. You look at how they're presenting themselves and taking that on face value. A person rolls into a job interview with a wheelchair. Thankfully, nowadays, we don't look at that chair and go, oof, that person can't do this job. We think, what do we need to do to facilitate this person working with us? If they are the best candidate for the job, how do we make their life easy enough to come and work for us? We don't look at them and say, oh, wheelchair, going to have to make sure there's a ramp, going to have to make sure everybody's nice to them, going to have to do this, going to do... We don't. We just go, hey, if they're the best candidate for the job, what are the things that we need to do? Can that not happen with people with mental illness? There are things that I can't do. In America, if I was living there, I could buy a gun. I am really glad in Australia that if I ever go to buy a gun or try to get a gun license, it is going to be severely restricted as to the access that I can have to that. And in fact, because I've attempted suicide, it's very, very possible that the government would say no. Now, are they impinging on some right that I have? In fact, no. I know for a fact that if I had a gun, I would be dead. Because it would have been so tempting on those days where the, my mind was telling me to kill myself to just reach into that gun safe, pull out the gun and blow my head off. It would have been easy. But it, 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 would, have, it, it would have been easy. And I truly believe that I would not be here if I had a gun. There were times when the desire to take my life was so strong 
that if I could have just taken a pill, pulled out a gun, put it in my mouth, I believe I would have done it and I would have been gone. So do I see the fact that I can't buy a gun as impinging on my rights? No, I don't. I look at it as society has made a rule that I am benefiting from because as a person with a mental illness, a person who at times has diminished capacity, I cannot live safely with a firearm. Now, am I anti-gun? Absolutely no way in the world. I shoot. I used to hunt when I was a kid. I used to hunt rabbits at the farm. I used to go out to a farm and they'd have to cull the rabbits because there was just so many of them. I love guns. I think they're awesome, but I can't have one. Is it a failure on my part? No, it's not. It's just part of my reality. It's part of my new reality, my changed reality. Would I like to own a gun? Fantastic. Yes. Would I like to hold a gun? Would I like to shoot a gun? Of course I would. Yes, I absolutely would. But I can't have one in my house. I can't use one unsupervised because it's a danger to me. That's a new reality. That's not a broken reality. That is not a failure. It's just life. I want to thank anybody that has listened to this. Thank you so much. You can subscribe to our podcast. STP Shattered the Podcast comes out every Monday. Uh, You can see that we're also broadcasting on the Wisdom app. I always invite people, if they want to jump in, be part of the conversation, go on our socials. Uh, We're on the Instagrams, we're on the Facebooks, uh, and of course, through the Wisdom app, you can jump on and be a guest at any time. Uh, This conversation is one that is important, and if you know somebody that is impacted by mental illness, and they are struggling with who they are through that mental illness, this is a podcast that you want them to listen to. Uh, Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Shattered, the podcast. I'd like to thank our producer, Meredith Brosnan, our executive producer, Torian Lau, and the band Adelaide for allowing us to use their song as our theme. Go to shatteredthepodcast.com for more information.